Good morning. Good morning. Nah, that was lame. Good morning. Good morning. Wake yourselves up. We're talking about Jesus. Let's go. Okay. <clears throat> to go back to the previous slide, please. All right, verse 19. Andrew, could you stand up and read that really loud for me one more time? Yell it out. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hmm. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. Come on, help me out. I mean, I'm sure we could quote the whole thing. But you know what we're talking about. In the beginning, God created man. Um, and he placed this image upon him. And he told them that you are mine. He made us image bearers. And he desired communion with us. He desired relationship with us. You can go back to Genesis. You can look it up. And you can see how God walked in the garden with Adam. He desired to communicate. To have relationship with him. In order to do this, well, no. First, God chose man. I, I choose you. You belong to me. And in turn, he desired for us to choose him. And in order for that to happen, you had to have free will. You have to have choice. And through that choice, we can go back in Genesis and, you know, we can look at what occurred and what happened. Adam fell for a lie. He believed a lie. He thought that he could belong to himself. I have thought that I can belong to myself. I have believed a lie. And thus sin entered the world. And what are the consequences of sin? Death. Um... This lesson is kind of a brainchild of Chad Montandon, and uh, this has been a really challenging question for me. Why did, you, why did Jesus Christ have to be become human? Why did he have to come to earth and do what he did to accomplish what he did? Um, and I'm going to kind of segue into that in a fashion. Uh, I go to LCU. I am a... I'm going to be an elementary school teacher one day, um, which means that I get to hang out with a lot of younger ladies who are single and older ladies that are married in all of my classes. So um, there's not much testosterone in there, and I get a lot of uh, feminine quality time. And it's great. They're great ladies. I love them. All of my teachers are ladies except for one man, and that dude has saved my life. Um... But I'll tell you what, uh, they, you know, they're basically teaching us how to become teachers. How, how, do, you, how do you show children what they're supposed to do? Um, how do you learn things? And I could go through what you do in uh, a classroom, small groups, individual. Um, I could go through the strategies. One of the most basic strategies is direct instruction. I need directly showing you this is how you do it. Okay? Now I'm going to show you what you're going to do with you're going to do with me, and I'm going to stand over your shoulder, and I'm going to show you. Um, and I found I found a quote that's talking about um, how you teach young children to write, how that works. And you know nowadays you have the whole cursive thing with the bold lines and the dotted lines in between, and you can just trace it or whatever. But um, a long time ago, what used to occur was the child would have the pen and have it to the paper, and the teacher would take their hand and they would cover the child's hand. And it would show them how to do it. And as the child is writing the letter, the teacher is writing the letter. Showing them, modeling 
for them how to do it. Um, and we can see this. If God is love, He shows us how to love. If I understand what love is, it's because God has shown me what it is. He has taken my hand and He has shown me what love is. This is where it gets complicated. The consequence of sin is death. We need to overcome death. We've got a, we've got a barrier. There's, there's something between me and my relationship with God and that sin. The consequence of that is death. And think about it. God, God is love and He can show me what love is. But how can God die? How can God suffer? How can God surrender? In the state that he is in. Because think about it. My human flesh perishes. I fade. I die. I suffer. You get where I'm going here. How do we overcome death to be with God? To not be separate? We need help in order to do what the teacher never does. To surrender. To suffer. To submit. And to die. You got the clicker? You might turn to the next one? Yeah. Alright, thanks, man. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So we see this. Why did God? Why did? Why did God have to become Jesus? Or why did he have to become human to do this? And I wrote some of this down. And I want you to understand that whenever I say that God can and God cannot, I'm not saying that God can't do what He wants to. God can do what He wants to. But everything that we are talking to you about this week, um, that I'm talking to you about you now, is a love story. And it's based upon a narrative that God has created. So the things that I'm about to tell you are according to that narrative. And if this engine doesn't work for you, understand that um, what God has done for us works. I am simply trying to explain possibly how it works. So God became man, 100% human, capable of suffering and dying, and 100% God, in order to help us in this manner. He could surrender his will and suffer and die because he was man. And he could do so perfectly without sin because he is God. You and I go through this process only if God does it in us. But God can do it only if he becomes a man. Our attempts in dying, and by dying I don't mean my flesh perishes. I'm talking about the death that God calls us to. The death that he has provided through his own death. The avenue to him. You can see it in Romans 6, I believe. If you want to look it up, you can check it out. Our attention dying will succeed only if we share in God's dying, but we cannot share in God's dying unless God dies. And he cannot die except by being a man. This is how he cancels our debts and suffers for us what he need not suffer at all. You want to hit that slide? This is Hebrews 2, 9 through 18. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 
For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's us, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Think about that, perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you of your name. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, slide. Behold, I and the children of God, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I want you to think about this. Um, this is talking about family. What is it saying? I can claim them as brothers inside of you. Who's got family members in here? Raise your hand. Yeah, my cat knows where we're going with this. We've been talking about family a lot. Our culture has taught us that I'm responsible for my family. I should be responsible. And there's a connection between me and my brothers and my sisters. And we share blood. We're going to be talking a little bit about blood this morning. We don't know much about blood um, in terms of it doesn't commonly show up in our culture. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he has made, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffered, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Does anybody in here know what a high priest is? What does a high priest do? Anybody? I won't lie to you. I had to go looking for this because I'm looking at this and I'm like, what? What is a high priest? What does a high priest do? And so I started reading the book of Hebrews. Um, The book of Hebrews is um, incredible. So, what we're going to look at, everybody get your Bibles out real quick. It's going to be interactive. Maybe this will wake you up a little bit. Let's go. Open it up to Hebrews chapter... uh, Just get to chapter 8 and chapter 9. We're going to talk about this a little bit. Because I want you to understand what he means whenever he's talking about... Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. What this is saying is, we are made like blood, we are made out of flesh and blood, we are his children. That means we belong to him. And so he's going to lay claim to us. And he's got a model for us, well, how do you got to get back to me? Well, I'm going to send myself down in flesh and blood, just like you, my brothers and sisters. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to become a high priest. In Hebrews chapter 8. It talks about the old law. And it talks about how God has seen fit that I will make a new covenant. And therefore, since he promises a new covenant, it is is established that the old one will become obsolete. And then in chapter 9, we're going faster because I know you don't want to read the whole thing. Chapter 9 talks about the tabernacle. And this is important. I want you to understand something. We're going to get some mental imagery up in here. The tabernacle 
whenever God told uh, the Israelites, the Jews, to make it, he said it has to be exactly like this. Exactly along these measurements, it has to be perfect in every way. And what it is, is a shadow of the true holy place, of the true tabernacle. In chapter 9, we'll tell you, chapter 8, 9, and 10, we'll all talk about how there is something beyond sight. There is a true place, a true holy place. But within the tabernacle of the Jews, there is the holy place and the most holy place. And in the holy place, the priests would go there, and they would worship, and they would sacrifice. But in the most holy place, you have things like the Ark of the Covenant, the Staff of Moses, um, and other sacred items. But in that place, the high priest, an Israelite, he could only enter in there once a year, and it always had to be with blood. So that he could enter, and so that he could address the sins of the people that he was representing. And so whenever, in chapter 10, I'm going to read this to you, and I'm going to try not to cry, but we're going to, we're going to make it. Mm, excuse me, chapter 9, verses 11, starting verse 11. But when Christ came as a high priest, the only one that can enter in to the most holy place. When he came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. So we're not talking about the Jewish tabernacle. We're not talking about the one in Israel. We're talking about the real deal. Not the shadow. We're talking about the real deal. It's not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Thus obtaining eternal protection. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctifies them so that they are outwardly clean. So if we look at the old law, if you want to go back in the Old Testament, and you should, because it's part of your legacy. And it's part of understanding why Jesus had to be man. Because of blood. And if you read on, we're not going to go that far, but if you read 16 through about 22, it tells you why there has to be blood. It talks about will and it talks about covenant. And it makes sense. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? We've been talking to you a lot about the shame that you feel upon yourself, how you have laid yourself low, and how you don't feel worthy. This right here says that he came, and by entering through the tabernacle, into this most holy place, to answer for all the sins of all creation, he has cleansed your consciousness. He has cleansed your souls. You are counted as worthy. There is no condemnation for you. Why did Jesus have to be a man? I mean, I look at this narrative, and I, you know, I can look back in, in the Old Testament, and there's, there's blood, and, and the people of the Old Testament understood what sacrifice meant because they did it daily. Daily, they were constantly reminded of their sin. And it talks in chapter 10, right here. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, that being Christ. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices, 
are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But Jesus Christ came as high priest. And you guys know the story. We can look in Scripture and we can see what Jesus did. And remember, he cried, it is finished. I mean, we can see, like, you know, his life has ended. But what that means is, you don't got to be reminded of your sin anymore. You don't got to think about it. You don't got to feel guilty about it. Because he came and it's done. And he said it was finished. And everything before and everything after, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He took it all away. And it was washed. And let's look at this. This is the hope that you have now. Because Jesus came down as a man, because he needed to do this, he needed to bring his blood pure and perfect to be put on that altar and to be taken away. And that's why you see the curtain ripping. Because it unveiled the most holy place. And it did away with this reminder of sin. And we keep reminding ourselves of our sin daily. And it's not yours. Stop claiming it. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, this is the person who has claimed you, who came down as a human being, 100% God, 100% human. He suffered, he died, and he understands. He was perishable just as you are perishable. Brothers and sisters, he relates to you. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. My family. I just told you a love story that you know, but I hope you understand a, a little bit more about the narrative that God presented saying that I'm going to relate to them in the most relatable possible way. I will take on flesh as they wear flesh. I will be their brother. I will be their father. And that, that last call, it says the call of faithfulness or of perseverance to be connected to one another. I'm going to ask you again. We're going to keep on telling you. We're going to keep on asking you. Be part of our family. Stop being ashamed of yourself. Live as Jesus Christ. 